Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Restoring Grace Radio on blogtalkradio.com. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace. Thank you for joining us either live or on archives. Restoring Grace Radio is here to provide online lessons about the Christian faith, our history, our documents, and how to express our faith to a very needy world. Thank you for listening, and now, on to our broadcast. Greetings, everyone. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace. And whether you're joining us live or on archive, thank you so much for hanging out with me. Tonight, we're going to talk about Growing Spiritually 101. I mean, this is the beginning. This is the entry-level stuff, a world of questions. I mean, how do you really grow? How do you know that you're making advances in your spiritual walk? How do you know that you're getting better at, uh, at what you're doing? How do you know these things? And I think there's a lot of great ways to ask that question and a lot of great ways to get an answer. And hopefully tonight we'll be able to do that. So first of all, let's talk about what spiritual growth is not. Spiritual growth is not a religion. It's a practice of teachings and rituals, uh, traditions, so to speak, that are designed to help people to understand their origin, their soul. Uh, In the case of things like Kabbalah, the, they're tikkun, they're correcting, and they're repairing of the world. It, it is it's something that teaches us how to get something done. Um, there's a big difference. A lot of people have a strategy. They have a strategy. They have a, well, this is what we're going to try and get done. But when it really gets down to, well, how does that happen? What, what makes that happen? That's kind of where a big empty spot occurs. It's like, well, I don't know how it happens. I just know this is what we need to be doing. So there's a big difference between strategy and tactics. Tactics are the things that we want to talk about. Whenever we talk about spiritual growth, we need to talk about tactics, how something actually happens, not what we're trying to get happen, that strategy, tactic, how will this happen? And by the way, I just want to let you know that I made sloppy joes tonight for dinner and they were fantastic. Complete side note. Spiritual growth does not require a student to quit or to change their faith practices. If you're a Christian, if you're Baha'i, if you're whatever you may be, even a person of of not a deep religious background, spiritual practices don't require that that you quit what you're doing. So, well, I've got to stop being this and stop being that to go, no. It's like adding horsepower to an engine. The engine doesn't stop being an engine. It doesn't stop being... Uh, you know, we're using fuel. It doesn't stop doing it. It's just it's things that we add on to it to get it to run more efficient, to get it to run faster and more enjoyable, by the way. I think the biggest challenge that people have in spiritual growth, and I'm, I'm defining this, you as a person growing spiritually. You as a person working on you to be a better version of yourself. But it requires work. It requires soul searching. It requires facing tough questions. And most of all, it requires no bread of shame. I want to explain what I mean by that. Bread of shame 
is a term to explain anything that happens in our lives that happens to us free. We didn't work for it, nothing like that. It just doesn't, that's bread of shame. And it's very hard. It's very hard when you're talking about bread of shame to have value to it, to have value to it. Today I was walking out of King Supers and it was very kind. Uh, the, one of the checkout ladies, they had some flowers that were getting old, and they said, hey, would you like some free flowers? And I was like, well, yeah, that's great. I brought them home, and I put them in a vase, and I'm all excited about my free flowers. But there's no connection between me and the flowers. I, I didn't do anything more than just show up there, and that was to get my wonderful Sloth Life Joe material. And I got some free flowers, and they're upstairs right now, and they're sitting in a vase full of water. That's where the free flowers are going to go. And I got a story to tell, but that's it. That's it. There's no other connection to it. So many times, excuse me, my nose run a bit. So many times people get things in their life that they don't earn, that they don't work for, that it's not, it was easy for them and there's no value in it. There's no value to what's happening. And quickly it loses its luster, quickly it loses its thrill. Because there's no value to it. No bread of shame. If you're going to grow spiritually, it's going to be work. So if your goal is to feel better about yourself, I want to feel better about myself, then spiritual growth and transformation is probably not for you. Because it's really about working. It's about removing blockages. We may have time to talk about that. It's about seeing yourself as you actually are. How your life really looks. Not just to you, but how it looks to the people around you. Growing and transforming, by the way, I want to bring this up. Growing and transforming, by the way, does not demand mindless allegiance to some dogma. You got to take what works for you and you got to use it. You got to find what works and you have to use it. Some of the things you'll hear me say, you'll say, that's just complete nonsense. That didn't work for me. Then disregard it. Other things you'll say, wow, I never thought of that. Let me try that and see if I can get it to work. But growing and transforming isn't just hey, can I buy a program and just tell me the 10 steps to growth and I'll just go do those 10 things. No, it cannot be a mindless allegiance to it. It has to be you working towards it and it will work towards you. The physical world where we live in in Kabbalistic terms called the Malkut, this earthly kingdom is like a desert. It is a hard environment to grow in. Um, You have to do a lot of work. It's hard to know when you're in the desert which direction to head. Where forward advancement is at. And in order to do that, we're going to need something more than just a, as they call it, a moral compass. We're going to need something more than just our innate ability to determine that there are some things that are right, there are some things that are wrong. That's the purpose of the study, the purpose of growth. The purpose of practices is to awaken the light that's inside of us, our soul, so that we have that kind of guidance and we have that kind of ability to see where we're going and what needs to be done next. For the Christian Gnostics, for the Kabbalists, and many spiritual disciplines, there's a conversation a lot about the divine spark. And without trying to get too much into it, let me just say this. I'll start with this. Let me say this. In the very beginning of the Bible, in the Old Testament for the Christians, in the Torah for my Jewish friends, let us make man in our image. 
Now, there are some things about me that I guarantee are not godlike. But somewhere in this humanity, somewhere in this shell of humanity, the temporary embodiment of me is a divine spark, is a part of the creator. And I can explain it best by saying it like this. If you think of uh, Pikes Peak, if you think of a big mountain, and we climb to the top of it, I would never do that. But if we climb to the top of it, and we're looking out all over the area, and we see all the things that are out there and the beauty of it and the clouds and other mountains, if I reach down and I chip off a piece of the mountain, say the size of uh, like a dollar bill, I put it in my pocket, and we make our hike down, my case drive down, and we get down to the bottom and we go home. In my pocket, I have a part or piece of the mountain. It is not the mountain. It's a part or piece of it. That's how we were created. Chips, sparks, pieces of the creator in us, surrounded by this earthly shell. So when we're doing spiritual work, when we're transforming, when we're growing, what we're attempting to do is connect to the DNA of the creator that resides in us. Now, I want to make sure we understand there's a clear definition. I get this all the time. You're talking about being God. You're talking about being God, becoming God. No, I'm talking about being God-like. In the Christian realm, no one thinks twice about saying being like Christ. Christ-likeness, Christ-mindedness. No one thinks two things about that. I'm not saying that you will become Jesus or you will become God. What I'm saying is that there's a part of God that is in you. There's a DNA strand of the spiritual that's already there, and our job is to awaken it, is to uncover it, to get the capote or the shells or the coverings off of it. And realize, this is very important, realize, That in the long chain of the reality of human existence, from the time where God said, let us make man in our image, to 2020, you're a link in this chain. You have a part to play. You have a piece of the puzzle. You're a link in this chain of this long history of humanity being played out to return itself to the creator. Societal chaos, by the way, and we seem to be having a lot of it lately, or maybe we're just because of the internet and social media, we're just hearing about it more. Societal chaos is caused in parts by breaks in the chain, and we're allowing evil to gain momentum. When people say, that's not my fight, uh, you hear that say, not my, not my monkeys, not my circus. When we say, oh, that was a shooting over there, or that's that's how that country goes through or that, the, the fires over there, the earthquake. When we try and step back and say, well, that's not our problem because it's not immediately contacting us, we are operating in the consciousness of this world, not the spiritual consciousness that God gives us. We are all connected. So the question then is, well, why is there seemingly such a great distance between creator, between God, the endless force, the insulf, and us? Why is there such a, a huge distance between us in our limited vessels and our own existence? Well, can we influence God? I want you to think about this for a minute. We say he's so far away 
and he's so disconnected, and there's such a distance between us, but we never, ever, at, we never really ask the question, can we talk with God about ending the violence or ending the tragedies, or can we actually do that? I want you to think about a famous story, again, in the book of Genesis, Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, there's a lot of controversy and a lot of comments about why that is the way it is, but we're not going to go down there. I just want you to remember that God is very unhappy with Sodom and Gomorrah about the state of the unrepented acts that were happening there, about the state of their unrepentedness. And he tells Abraham, I've had it. I'm going to take these guys out. But in Genesis 18.23, God comes back, or Abraham comes back to, to God and says, hey, wait a minute. You are a just God. You are a righteous God. And there are righteous people there. And he begins to bargain with God about a number, 10, 5, whatever the number may be, where you spare the city. And it's interesting to note Moses, in his time in the Torah, in his time in the Old Testament documents, goes to God. God said, I had it with these guys. I'm going to. And Moses goes, and please, we can affect the decisions of God in the heavens. When we're willing to understand that we've got to grow spiritually, we have to do transformation, we have to work hard to be in that place to talk with God. Is it, if the nature of the creator is pure and good, what is the source of human suffering? Somewhere there's a disconnect. The desire to receive for self alone, people's selfishness or our perceived lack is a source of much, not all, much of human-on-human suffering. When we think, again, Genesis, well, we've got a Genesis theme going on here. When we think about Adam and Eve, when the serpent comes to Eve, he doesn't really sell her on the idea of doubt. She has no reason to doubt God. She has no reason. It's her lack that he appeals to. You'll be like God. You'll be this way. You'll be this thing. Your eyes will be. He tells her about all the. They had everything. Everything. And the serpent says, well, he knows that if you do this, then you will have this. It was her lack, not her doubt. The desire to receive for self alone, our selfish actions, is what creates vile acts between us. It's what creates war. It's what creates theft. It's what creates attacking. It's what creates sexual assaults. It's what creates all of it. Is is somewhere along the line, our reactive nature is trying to fill any void that we feel immediately without the consideration of the cost. Think of it. If we could be, bring peace to the very souls of people, we could end the war of human-on-human suffering and pain. But we're often confused where to invest. And we're often confused what to do. Again, spiritual immaturity, lack of transformation. We invest in the temporary things, the things that bring us immediate gratification, even though that's detrimental to the people around us and long-term to all of us as humanity. The true source of peace, the true source of growth, the true source of transformation is investing in our souls, working on ourselves and assisting others along their journey. Jesus said in the New Testament document, where your heart is also is your treasure. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Never before in my lifetime have I seen more people's true natures, their hearts, 
their actions played out greater than I've seen it played out on Facebook and in social media and all the different things. People aren't interested in the caliber or the content of the argument. They're simply interested in who said it. Because who said it immediately tells us whether we think that it's right or it's wrong. Even if it's right, it doesn't matter. It's wrong because of who said it. It's not about the, it's not about the content or the character of the argument. It's about the person who said it. You see, our hearts, our hearts need to be dedicated to creator. Our hearts need to be dedicated to the process of correction that he sent for us. And this is important because it runs on two things. One of them is we are here to perform in our own lives a radical transformation of being selfish, of being driven for our only own goods and our own gratification, to transform ourselves into beings of sharing, which is everything that I want to receive, everything I see to receive in my life, I'm receiving it for the benefit of sharing it with other people. And on the same thing as my trajectory and I'm growing spiritually, the transformation is taking what has occurred in my life and saying to someone, here's something I found of value, perhaps you will too, helping other people along their way. We're a vessel. We're all vessels. The Apostle Paul taught this in the New Testament documents. And there are vessels for honor, and there's vessels for dishonor. There's vessels that carry light. There's vessels that carry darkness. What kind of vessel? What are you carrying? That's the key of spiritual growth. I can't remember who quoted this, but uh, a famous Christian apologist was visiting a man who was creating this masterful uh, statue of a lion out of a marble block. And he was fascinated with this man's talent and his ability to do this and the artistry of it. And he asked him, he said, how do you know how to do that? How do you know how to take this block of marble and transform it into this amazing spot-on replica of a lion. His response back was, oh, that's easy. I just chip away everything that doesn't look like a lion. That's transformation. It's removing everything about Dave that doesn't look like the DNA of the creator, that doesn't look like the actions of Jesus. It doesn't look like it's chipping all those things away. And we hear a lot of talk about having faith, building faith, planting seeds of faith. But the word faith to me has kind of been hijacked. It, it, kind of a, it describes like a preset system of beliefs that have very little, do, uh, very little to do with anything about believing in God or transforming or growing. I have this faith, and that means I believe A, B, C, and because I believe A, B, and C, I'm going to get the D and E ending that I so deserve. Faith isn't the word I'm looking for. In spiritual growth, in transformation, it takes certainty. Knowing that God is at work in all things. Certainty in God and certainty in the process. And what does that mean? How do you do something like that? It means that we believe in God's intent for us, Kavanah, that his intent is good. He says in Jeremiah, I know the plans that I have for you. They are plans of hope and an expected end. It's going to turn out okay, guys. The Apostle Paul kind of mirrors that. All things work together for good. For them that believe. And that's tough to hear sometimes. There's some ugly things going on out there that don't make it feel very good. But knowing 
having certainty in Creator, having certainty in God, Kavanah, his intent of his heart, only when we know a person's intent, their heart, can we love them. Can we know that we're loved? When we suffer, when we endure pain, we need to ask ourselves, what is the intent of the lesson? What's the intent of this lesson? What am I, what am I here to learn? What am I here to figure out? Because I need to figure this out somehow. Somehow I've got to figure this out. Everything in life, everything that comes our way, from our families to our relationships to our kids to our job, everything has a lesson in it. Everything's present. When we meet those situations with doubt, with fear, we'll, we'll never see the connection of what we're supposed to learn because our reactive nature takes over. And we close down our mind and our reactions take over and we're no longer hearing, we're no longer listening, we're no longer seeing. And folks, what that means is that we are destined to keep getting the same challenge over and over until we meet it and we learn it. People say to me, why does this keep happening to me? Why do I keep getting cut off and swearing at people? Why do I keep having this happen to me? Why? You're having these things happen to you because you have not mastered the lesson. Now, this is what's really important in spiritual growth and transformation. The harder the challenge we face, the harder that pill battle it is, the more light's going to be revealed, the more transformation is going to take place in our hearts. It's a greater opportunity. There's a story of a rabbi who he has a trusted servant, and people love the rabbi, but they don't like his servant very much. And the rabbi tells his servant, I'm going to go away for a few weeks. Uh, when I come, you run over the house, take care of all the needs of the people while I'm gone, and he leaves. And no sooner does he leave, the villagers get mad. We've never liked you. We'd run you out of town, but we like the rabbi too much. And they begin to, one guy hits him, punches him, and then they hit him again. They hit him like five times, six times. The next day, five times, six times, four or five days, now we're up to 30 or 40 times he's been punched or beaten. Rabbi comes back and sees him all beat up. So what happened? He said, Rabbi, you won't believe it. He said, well, as soon as you left, the people, they turned on me and they started beating me and, and hitting on me and hitting me and spitting on me and, and doing these terrible things. And here I am just bruised and beat up. He goes, I hate them for this, that they've done this to me. So the rabbi gathers all the townspeople together and says, what happened here? I'm gone and you guys do this to my servant? Well, we didn't like him and he was angry and we hit him. He says, okay. He was telling me, you guys hit him five or six times a day. I was gone for five days. That's going to be 30-something. I want you to get 30 pieces of gold coin together and come and bring it to him to pay him for what you've done. Restitution. Pay him back for the damage. That afternoon, they show up with their 30 pieces of gold, and they give it to him. And the servant looks to the rabbi, and he says, I wish they would have beaten me more. I wish I would have suffered more. Because in the end of his suffering, he gained the gold. And that's how it is in our lives. At the end of our suffering, we need to embrace that we have the spiritual source of the creator in us. The DNA of the creator is there. We have it. What we need, it's already there. We don't need to, to hold services and act like, you know, we're going to beat the drums and then King Kong's going to come eat the, the blonde-haired lady we have tied to the stake. And that's how all this works. A lot of worship looks like that to me these days. 
beating a bunch of drums and doing all these things. Usher, the presence of God, we're going to call down God into this place. God came in the building when you came in the building. You have a spark of the divine, an image of God created in each of you. Everything is in the seed. Think about it. When you plant a seed, I'm no farmer or I mean, I can't grow anything, but when you put a seed in the ground, remember Jesus said, unless the seed goes in the ground and dies, the seed goes in and it transforms from a seed into the plant, into the tree, into the branches, into the leaves, and into the fruit. The apple seed makes an apple tree. Everything is present in the seed for the fullness of what it's going to become. Everything is present. The roots, the leaves, the fruit, everything's already there for you. We have the same essence of God, but we do not have the completeness of God. We don't have his completeness, and that's the goal. The goal is becoming like him, becoming God-like in our attitudes, in the way that we address each other, to have an affinity with the light, likeness with the creator. Now, the creator is always going to be in He's always going to be the endless force. He's always going to be the undescribable indescribable. He's always going to be those things. But to spiritually grow and transform, we have to realize that the equipment that we need to make that happen is already residing in us. The DNA is already there. The greatness, the opportunity, the seed level is already there. We simply have to take the seed and begin to work with it. My name is David Fournier. Whether you're joining us live or not, I thank you for hanging out with us. I look forward to a next episode with you. We have several great programs coming up over the next couple of weeks. Stay tuned. Thank <laughs> you.